morning, Lighthouse. I don't want you to see me. I'm a little embarrassed. I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. Super excited to have you all here and uh, to be able to jump into God's Word. You ready to get back into Acts right now? Yeah? Are you ready? Yes or no? Yeah? Okay. I, I guess it doesn't matter if you're not because that's what I'm preaching on. So, uh, glad you are here. So glad you're here. Have you ever heard or read a story that you thought to yourself, there is no way that happened? There's no way that happened to that person. There's no way she could have done that. There's no way that he could have lived through that. Have you ever had a story like that that you've heard or saw or read or whatever the case may be? Uh, are you familiar with this guy right here? I'll bet most of you are not familiar with this guy right here. A few years ago, I was reading a book called Unbroken, and uh, the book is by Laura Hillenbrand, and it's a fantastic book. I Actually, I picked up the book, not because it was, a, it was written by the number one New York Times bestselling author of Seabiscuit. I didn't pick it up for that reason. I picked it up because it was a World War II story of survival, resilience, and redemption. That's why I picked that book up. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know who it was about. I, I picked it up because I think at the time I wasn't really reading anything and it was about World War II. So I picked up the book and I started reading it. And page after page, as I read the book, I was like, there is no way that all of this happened to one guy. It was phenomenal. It was crazy. In fact, the, the book was turned into a movie directed by Angelina Jolie. The book is about a guy by the name of Louis Zamperini. And Louis Zamperini lived an amazing life. In fact, he was born in the early 1900s, was a phenomenal athlete, represented the United States of America in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, Germany. An amazing runner. He was supposed to run in the 1940 Olympics that, took, that were to take place in Tokyo, Japan. But World War II broke out, and Louis Zamperini became a, a, a person in our armed forces. In fact, he was a bombardier in a B-24 Liberator. His B-24 Liberator got shot down over the Pacific Ocean. This is uh, Louis Zamperini right there on the left, okay? And uh, so his B-24 Liberator got shot down over the Pacific Ocean. Louis and one, of, uh, and one of the people on his plane, the two of them survived the crash. In fact, they set a record surviving 47 days on the open sea. They survived in unrelenting sun, shark-infested waters being strafed, shot at by Japanese planes, and they had very little water to live on. 47 days. They did everything they could to collect what little rainwater would come in, and they survived on the birds that would land on their raft. After 47 days and floating for 2,000 miles, they finally beached on an island where they were immediately captured by the Japanese soldiers there and subjected to two years 
of horrific, terrorizing torture, being beaten and starved for two years until 1945 when the war ended. Now, while Louis was in the middle of the Pacific Ocean for 47 days, he made a deal with God. He told God that if he survived, he would serve God with the rest of his life. A promise he promptly forgot when he came back to the United States. But God didn't forget. And it's an interesting story that Louis got married, and he, he married the love of his life, but he, he had, he had uh, addictive problems in his life, as many of that greatest generation who served in the war had. And he had addictive problems in his life to the point where, uh, where he, was, he was about to lose his marriage. His wife was going to divorce him. And Billy Graham came into town in Los Angeles, California. And his wife wanted, Bill, uh, wanted Louis to go so bad, but he wouldn't go. He didn't want to have anything to do with religion, for obviously forgetting the promise that he had made to God. He didn't want to have anything to do. And his wife had gone and seen Billy Graham. And so she lied, no, tricked Louie by saying that it was a technology conference that he was going to be going to. And so Louie agreed, and he went to hear Billy Graham. And the first night he was at the Billy Graham crusade, at the end of Billy's message, Louie was sitting in his seat, and the power of the Holy Spirit was upon him. And at the moment of decision, when Louis could give his life to the Lord, he got up and he left and he ran away. He didn't make a commitment that night. Billy stayed in town and, and Billy kept preaching and his wife once again somehow tricked him into going to hear Billy speak again. And that time... The time came, the altar call was given, where people could give their lives to Jesus Christ, and once again, Billy got up to leave, and Billy Graham, or excuse me, Louis got up to leave, and Billy Graham said, sit down, like in the midst of an altar call, and Louis sat down, and that night, Louis Zamperini gave his life to Jesus Christ. Jesus became his Lord and Savior. And from that moment on, Louis began serving God, primarily with youth in the Los Angeles area. And Louis's huge life impacted a significant and amazing, a great amount of people's lives. This one life, Louis Zamperini. His life was huge. It was great. It was grand. If you look, I read that book and I was like, there was no way that, that I mean, literally his life was like three Hollywood movies. And I thought to myself, there's no way this could all happen to one man. But it happened to that guy, Louis Zamperini. Now today, we are going to continue our series in the book of Acts. And we're going to come and talk about a man who had that kind of life. A man who, who lived a life that you and I will look at and go, there is no way that happened to that guy. But before we jump into his story, we're going to review for just a moment, okay? 
So at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus has resurrected. And if you remember, Luke and Acts are connected. They're written by Luke. In fact, they are two volumes of the same work, scholars believe. They were meant to be read back to back. And so Jesus resurrects in, in, at the end of Luke, and in Acts, we see that Jesus comes back. He's around for 40 days. He hangs out. He, he, he proves that he is alive. He's not a ghost. And then he ascends to the right hand of God the Father. And the church begins. It starts. I, I'm, I'm just hitting the highlights, the cliff's notes here, right, okay? If you want, you need to go back and read those first number of chapters. They are phenomenal because it's at that moment Peter gives his first sermon. 3,000 people claim Jesus as Lord and Savior. The early church begins. It has favor within the community around it. More and more and more people are giving their hearts and lives over to Jesus. Their lives are changing. The community around them is changing. It is glorious for a little while. And then we see persecution begin to start. It starts to, to ravage and impact the church. It starts with the disciples. And then it moves to the, the followers of Jesus in that early church. So much so that the, the religious establishment, the Jewish religious establishment and the Roman Empire, they want to put down this uprising that's starting to build momentum. And they start to persecute them. And what they thought they were doing was stamping out this movement. But all they did was spread the seeds of faith. Yeah. Because the people who were being persecuted began to run for their lives. And they began to spread into not just Israel, but into other countries. And they took with them the clothes on their back, their family... And their faith and as the religious establishment and the roman government thought that they were stopping this movement all they did was perpetuate and spread what they were trying to stop and that led to the very first martyr a man by the name of stephen stephen who was taken because of his faith more than likely shoved off a hill and then outside the city, they took large boulders and they stoned Stephen to death. And while all of this is going on, there's a young man, a young zealous Pharisee standing off to the side. And he's standing off to the side, watching over the cloaks of the people who are doing the stoning. This young man's name was Saul. And Saul was not humble. And Saul was not one to just stand idly by. In fact, in chapter 8, verse 1, we read this. And Saul approved of their killing Stephen. As all of this is going on, Saul is saying, yes, he's getting what he deserves. And the result of this is that this Pharisee Saul, as he saw this religious movement beginning to grow and multiply and spread, is that Saul became so angry that he wanted to pursue, literally hunt down these followers of this radical rabbi by the name of Jesus, who they say came back to life and that he is the Savior. And so Saul began to hunt down these people of what he saw was a breakaway cult once and for all. 
And this, my friends, is where we pick up the story in chapter 9. In chapter 9. Rick, I need a thing of water, please. Um, in chapter 9. And, and this, gets, this is so good. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But in, in chapter 9, it, it's written so well that I, I can't even speak it better than this. It says, meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out threats to murder the Lord's disciples. That's not me making it up. That is not, that is a, that's the translation of how Saul felt about these people who were following Jesus. He wanted to murder them, not beat them, not throw them in jail, literally take their life for what they believed religiously and spiritually. Could that happen today? Not necessarily in the United States, but it happens around the world. Saul, still breathing out threats to murder the Lord's disciples. Now, do, do you get a picture of who this guy is? Do you get a picture of his feelings towards these people? Do you understand the power that he's about to have? It says that Saul went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any who belonged to the way, and that's what they were called, they were called, that the early church was not called the church. Thank you, Rick. They were called the way. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am the what? Way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So these followers were known as the way. So Saul wanted to get papers. So if he found any who belonged to the way, either men or women, he could bring them as prisoners back to Jerusalem so that they could stand trial and if it was anything up to Paul they would die for their faith okay so let's talk about this just for a moment how this all goes down it says that Saul went to go get papers from the high priest to hunt these people out. how could he do what what's a, the high priest big what's the big deal about the high priest the high priest was the man in charge of the Grand Sanhedrin, okay? The Grand Sanhedrin in Jerusalem was responsible for all of the final decisions as it pertained to politics and religion. For all Jews, not just in Israel, okay? These 71 men, 71 members of the Sanhedrin, think of it this way, they were kind of the supreme court of Israel, but with way more power and they made all final decisions as it pertained to religion and politics in Israel and the power of the Sanhedrin reached out to anywhere there were Jews anywhere not just in Israel see Damascus is not in Israel it's in Syria it's in a different country it doesn't matter. Wherever there are Jews, the Sanhedrin's power was there. And so Saul goes to the high priest, the big kahuna, the pope, if you will. They would never claim that. But it gives you an idea of his authority. He went to the, the high priest 
to get papers that would allow him to go anywhere he wanted to hunt down these Jesus followers and bring them back under lock and key to stand trial. That's what he wanted to do. That was his goal. And so this is where we pick up the story. So Saul is on his way. You can see on this, uh, on this map, Saul is in the bottom left-hand corner in Jerusalem. And he's going all the way up. He, he goes up uh, the Jordan River. He's going to pass the Dead Sea. And he's going to move up out of Israel and into Syria, in Damascus, which is about a 140-mile journey from Jerusalem. It would take six days. And I know, we sit here and we go, 140 miles, six days, I could do that in like two hours, whoever's driving, right? But remember, they they weren't flying, they weren't driving, they weren't taking Amtrak or a bus, they were walking. Some lucky ones were riding on donkeys. It was a six-day journey. And so as as Saul is on this journey, as he's on the road to Damascus, as he's, he's, he's fuming, he's furious, he is breathing murder. As he's on his way, he's almost into Damascus. When this bright light comes out of heaven, it just, boom, it is so hard and so heavy and so harsh, it literally knocks him down to the ground. And a voice comes from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul answers and says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, get up and go into Damascus and wait. And so Saul gets up. Scripture says it was literally led by the hand led by that can you imagine what that's like for this guy who is so prideful and at this point so powerful that he has access to the high priest to be led by the hand into damascus and there he waits for three days for three days he doesn't eat anything he doesn't drink anything he waits he i I can't even imagine what that's like Saul, what does he believe? The very people that he's persecuting worship the person who knocked him to the ground. This resurrected Jesus. And he waits. Meanwhile, there's a man in Damascus by the name of Ananias. And one day as Ananias is is praying, I think, the Lord comes to him and says, Ananias... I want you to go to Straight Street, and I want you to go to Judas's house. I want you to find this guy named Saul, and I want you to lay hands on him and pray over him. And this is where I love the scripture, because it doesn't hide anything. It, it's not like, you know, Ananias immediately goes, yes, Lord, I will do whatever you say at your bidding. It's not what happened. Saul does, or excuse me, Ananias does, I think, what any of us would do, Right? Ananias in prayer and the Lord says I want you to go to straight street to Judas's house and I want you to find a guy named Saul and I want you to lay hands on him and, and Ananias you know when he says the name Saul I think Ananias in the misery his eyes pop open and he says humbly um Lord correct me if I'm wrong 
and I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong here, but isn't Saul the same guy that was arresting and persecuting your followers in Jerusalem? And now, Lord, he has authority to come here to Damascus to arrest anyone he wants. Isn't that the Saul you're talking about? And the Lord says, yes, it is. I can't imagine the fear. I imagine that very few of us in this room understand that terrifying fear. That Ananias and his family can be arrested simply because of what they believe spiritually. Not just arrested, but persecuted and possibly killed. And the Lord says, go. He's the very one, you're right. But I have purpose for him. He is going to be my instrument to take my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the Jews. And I will show him how much he must suffer. And I imagine Ananias said, well, okay, that'll work. (laughs) I mean, if he has to suffer, I'm in, okay? Probably not. That's the Doug version. So Ananias was obedient. And he went. And he laid hands on Saul. And it says that when he did, something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes. And he could see. And he could see. And we're going we're gonna to stop the story there very briefly because there's three things I want to share with you this morning. Gus, can you skip these two pictures and just go to the next blank slide for me, please? Um, and so, uh, so there are three things. Three things I want to share with you briefly this morning. Two of these three things may be the greatest thing, the greatest news, the greatest words that any of us could ever hear in our lives. They give us hope. They are promises for us. They are glorious. And we see them in the life of this murder-breathing, driven man who would hunt down people to kill them if he could. And God shows up. Three things I want to share with you this morning. The first thing is this, no one is so far from God that God can't reach them. No one is so far away from God that God can't reach them. I remember when I was a kid, I I think I might have been like uh, 11 or 12 years old, and my dad and I went hunting in Southern California in Imperial Valley. And we were out, he and I, and we were sitting down as midday when you really don't go hunting very much. It's hot outside, and uh, and we're sitting, kind of sitting on the side of a a dirt road, I remember. And we're sitting there, and we're kind of talking, and I look up. I'm 11 or 12. This is probably my, you know, second hunt that I've gone out. And I see these birds way up in the sky, right? And I grab my gun, and I jump up, and I'm going to shoot them. And my dad's like, whoa, Doug, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. He was like, don't shoot. You're never going to hit them. You're never going to. They're too far away. Don't shoot. They were out of my range. They were out of my range. They were out of the range that my gun could shoot. 
to hit them. And the joy for us today is this, that God has no range. That God has all range. Maybe that's a better way to say it, is that God has all range, okay? Some of us today question, how could God really love me? I am so far away. I have walked so far away from God. I've been away from him for so long. How could God love me? Let me tell you something. You are not so far away that God cannot reach you. There are probably a number of us in here today who are thinking that I've got kids or grandkids or parents or family members that we love so much and they are so far away from God that I just have no idea how God is ever going to reach them. You know what? That's because we think in finite terms. God is infinite. God has all time, all power, all knowledge. No one is ever beyond the reach of God. So for you and for me, maybe some of us today, that news that we are not beyond God's reach is maybe like water in the middle of the... Oh my word, I thought that God, I couldn't get right with God. You can, because you're not beyond God's reach. Amen. Man, Doug, I, I thought that my daughter, she has gone so far away from church, so far away from, from God. My son is doing things that I am embarrassed by. My aunt, my uncle who I love so deeply, have said there is no God. Can I let you in on a little secret? There have been a lot of people, a lot of people, who have said profusely there is no God, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. No one is so far from God that God can't reach them. Nothing is out of God's range. Nothing is out of God's range. The second thing, the second thing is this, God loves you beyond the worst things you've ever done. God loves you beyond the worst things you have ever done. Think about Saul. Saul was hunting people down to kill them if he could. I've never done anything as bad as that. And I'm sure that no one here has done anything that bad. And you would say, but Doug, you don't know my life. You're right, I don't know your life, you don't know my life. But I do know this, God loves you. Amen. If you don't hear anything else I say, make sure you hear this. God loves you. Beyond the worst things you have ever done in your life. God loves you. And died to redeem that relationship and the third thing that we see in paul's life is this that god fulfills your purpose god fulfills your purpose i i, I love to say this you were created on purpose for a purpose you were created on purpose for a purpose saul was created on purpose for a purpose he was just living out the wrong purpose and in that moment, God connected the dots for Saul. 
We look at it and we say, how do you take a fire-breathing, hate-filled, murderous man and turn him into a Jesus-loving, Gentile-loving person? Remember, Jews believed that Gentiles were the sticks to start the fires of hell. That's how Saul saw Gentiles. How do you take this man and turn him into somebody who loves everybody? You redirect his eyes. And that's what Jesus did when he knocked him off his horse. And he gave him purpose. In fact, it says this in Acts chapter 9, verse 19 through 22. It says, for several days Saul was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, this man is the son of God. Think about that. This guy who said that Jesus was a heretic, that this rabbi Jesus had gone the wrong way, that he was a cult leader, and that all the cult members should die, was now proclaiming Jesus as the son of God, as the savior. All who heard Saul were amazed And we're saying, is this not the man who in Jerusalem was ravaging those who call on this name and who had come here to bring them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul became more and more, say that word with me, capable. He found his purpose and he started living in it. He became more and more capable and was causing consternation among the Jews. Consternation among the Jews. Or as the NIV uh, uh, translates it, he was baffling the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. That foundation that Saul had As an Orthodox Jew, he knew the Holy Scriptures backwards and forwards. He knew all of the verses about the Messiah. He just hadn't connected the dots yet. And once God got a hold of him, he changed the world. He changed the world, literally. And not just in that moment, but Saul, who wrote who became Paul and wrote almost half of the New Testament, has continued to change lives throughout history. From that point on, he found his purpose. God just needed to connect the dots. So what's your purpose? Why are you here? What has God called you and gifted you to do in the community that will change the world around you. Maybe it's not like Saul, where you'll travel all over the place and proclaim the name of Jesus. Maybe it's just living differently in your neighborhood. Maybe it's just serving in the Edison neighborhood. Maybe it's just reaching out. Maybe it's just praying for people. But what is it? I don't know what God has called you to do, but what is your purpose? And how are you living in it? Because when you do, God will change the world. So three questions, and then we're going to pray. Three questions, and they're this. Do you know someone who seems far away from God? Do you know somebody who seems far away from God, and what are you doing to help them see God's love? Second question. 
What are the dots God has tried to connect in your life? What are the dots? And maybe you would say, I don't know, Doug, but I felt unsettled. I don't know what God's trying to... Well, maybe you and I need to spend more time in prayer, seeking God out to connect those dots. And the third one, finally, are you living in the purpose for which God created you? Are you living in the purpose for which God created you? Would you stand up with me? I want to go back to our three points. Stand up, please. No one is so far away from God that God can't reach them. And God loves you beyond the worst things you've ever done. And God fulfills your purpose. Would you bow your heads with me, please? And some of you in here today, maybe today is is the first time that you have ever actually made sense of the fact that you are not so far away from God that he can't reach you. And that God loves you. And I know some of us are like, man, Doug, my life has been so horrible. I've done so many things against God. And I said it before and I'll say it again. God loves you passionately beyond the worst that you've done. And God wants a relationship with you. That's what he wants. Jesus died on the cross so that you could have that relationship with God. He rose again to give you the template of what life is like with him in it. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to pray pray a prayer. If today it makes sense, if today is the day that you look at it and go, God loves me. My past is my past. Jesus died to forgive my past. And the way I get to heaven is by accepting Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, because he is the only way to the Father. If that's the case for you, then pray this prayer. And I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer out loud so that nobody prays alone. Pray, just repeat after me, dear God, thank you for loving me. I know that I have blown it in my life. I have done some horrible things, Father. So please forgive me of all of my past and give me a future. I accept Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Give me the Holy Spirit that I may live my life in victory. In Jesus' name. And now, some of you, some of you, you've prayed that prayer before. You've prayed that prayer before. But somehow you got off track and you walked away and you kind of started, maybe fell into some old habits. And today you're like, I need to get back on track with God. I'm just going to encourage you to pray on your own to God. Just silently say, God, I'm sorry. I moved away. And I recognize that I have not drifted so far away that you can't get to me. So please forgive me. Holy Spirit, I renew that relationship. Give me the power to live my life for you. Pray something like that right now. And recommit yourself to God right now.
Because my friends, God is the only way that you're gonna fulfill that purpose for which you were created. It was true for Saul and it's true for you. And today I want to encourage all of us, whoever calls themselves a Jesus follower, that you would set yourself apart for God's use. That you would simply say, God, all that I have and all that I am is yours. I surrender and submit to you. I will pray that prayer. Would you pray that prayer as well? We'll take a moment and just pray that. If you prayed one of those first two prayers to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior as to re or to recommit your life to Him, I would love to pray for you right now. And if you prayed one of those two prayers, would you just simply make eye contact with me? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or come forward. Just make eye contact with me right now so that I can pray for you, okay? So I'm going to start over at my right, your left, and look over in the, over the crowd. And if you prayed that prayer, thank you. Thank you. Praise God. And just make eye contact. Thank you. Praise God. God is awesome. Praise the Lord. Coming over here to the middle right section. Thank you. Praise God. God is good. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Oh, my friends, God is awesome. Lord, you are glorious. You are worthy of praise. In this moment, we celebrate the fact that there is new life. That, that we are not so far away from you that you cannot reach us. That your love and your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy cover the worst things that we have ever done. And that in you we find our purpose and we celebrate that. And this morning, Father, there were so many people that looked up who either dedicated themselves to you or recommitted their lives to you. And we celebrate that now, Almighty God, that your life has transferred to them. And I pray for them now. God, that you would give them the power to live victoriously. That each day, each moment, they would choose you. And in those moments when maybe they slip and fall and Satan begins to tell them, ah, see, what you did didn't matter. That commitment didn't count. That they will look to you. They will run back to you and tell Satan the same thing that Jesus said, the same thing that disciples especially said, and that is, be gone, Satan. I am a child of the king. We celebrate that, God. And I pray that for those of us who are Jesus followers, that we meant what we prayed, that everything we have and everything we are are yours. Use us, God. Give us your eyes to see the brokenness in our world and how we can bring hope and life into this world into our community, into our neighborhood, and into our homes. Help us, God, to use our hands and feet as your hands and feet and to go where you would go and to serve how you would serve to bring hope and 
life into a broken and hopeless world. For we are your creation and we are your creatures, our God and King. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Listen, my friends, listen. If you prayed that prayer today, I just want you to come say hi to me, connect with me, or connect with Rick, or, or, or connect with, with Michael, or, or connect with, with Ashley, okay, or Pastor Kyle, connect with one of us. We just want to connect with you for a moment. And the second thing is, I think we need to celebrate those people who looked up, all of those people who looked up and either have a new or renewed their relationship with Jesus. It is time to celebrate as the kingdom of heaven. So would you join me in praising God for what he has done? Now, I, hold on, hold on. That's not good enough. You guys are like, yeah, that's good. How long until lunch, okay? No, this is like the Super Bowl. So let's treat it like the Super Bowl because there are new lives in the kingdom of God. Let's celebrate together, shall we? Woo! Because we are creatures of our God and King. Let's close.